0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Way Home Podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined me today. I'm thankful for each and every one of our listeners, So, whether you're listening on your commute, uh, you're in the carpool line with your kids, or you're washing dishes, as I listen to podcasts and do sometimes, or if you're exercising, glad to have you along on this special series I'm doing uh, to celebrate Easter as we turn our hearts toward the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is all in conjunction with the release of my new book, The Characters of Easter, The Villains, Heroes, Cowards, and Crooks Who Witnessed history's biggest miracle. You can find out more information at danieldarling.com Easter. Uh, You can also order the book wherever you like to buy books. Well, today I'm bringing on another friend who uh, can help us think about this Lenten season. And then her name is Asherita Chuchu. And Asherita has a really big following online. She is a, a really gifted teacher, a writer, Uh, She's got several books, Uh, perhaps her best-selling book is one that came out a few years ago at Christmas uh, for the Advent season called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, but she has one for Easter called Uncovering the Love of Jesus. We are actually going through this book with our family reading sections a little bit every day and she has just got a really really great voice. She's a great writer Um, and so I encourage you to check out her stuff you can go to asherita.com uh, we'll have links in the show notes we talk a little bit about um, how she got started writing why she loves it so much um, her time she as a missionary's daughter in romania and how that has kind of shaped her life we talk a little bit about celebrating lent uh, both of us kind of grew up didn't really do that in the traditions we grew up in but what that looks like now i think you're going to really enjoy this pull up a chair and listen to this conversation with Asherita Choo Choo about Easter. Well, I'm glad to have on the podcast my friend Asherita Chuchu, who is a, a best-selling author and a fellow, how should I say this, a fellow author of books for Christian holidays, should we say. <laughs> and I have loved your work. So thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it.
0: Dan, it's my joy to be here.
1: So you have written, um, probably your most known for is your Advent book uh, that has done really well, Unwrapping the name, the Names, the Names, Names of, Jesus. of Jesus. I was going to yep. say Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, but then I got halfway through, I was like- You
0: second-guessed yourself. I second-guessed myself. <laughs>
1: which is a great book and has done very well uh, with Moody Publishers, mm-hmm. which is a great publisher. We're both doing books with Moody. And then you have one out just uh, fresh for Easter called Uncovering the Love of Jesus, uh, a Lent yeah. devotional. So let me ask you this about your writing journey. Did you, did you always want to write? Did you always like to write? Or was it one of those things where, you know, you had, you had this idea and you wrote this book and then now you're like, tell me about that.
0: An accidental writer. Um, no, actually I've always wanted to write, um, ever since I can remember Mm -hmm. maybe.
1: Me too, by the way.
0: Seven or eight years old. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's like, you know, there's like, you know, this, right. There are two kinds of people in life. There's people who like, they just can't help, but not write. That's what we do. Like I can't, there's a lot of things I can't do, but just like writing, I just, you just can't help it. You get ideas and you want to put it on paper. That sounds like, it sounds like you, right?
0: Yeah. For me, it was from a really young age. I feel like other people called it out of me. Hmm. Um, So I was not even middle school and my parents and other uh, spiritual leaders in my life kept saying, Asherita, God has gifted you with the gift of communication and being able to explain things. And he's going to use that in your life. He's going to use it for bringing people to himself and and you're going to be a writer. So I don't know that I had much choice (laughs) about it. Um, I did end up majoring in English in college because Mm -hmm. I wanted to prepare for that. But uh, there's just a sense of God's hand has been on my life and he has equipped me and surrounded me with a supportive community. Um, So even though it's my name on the covers of these books, there are so many people who come together to make this happen.
1: Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, I like your work. You really love writing about scripture, connecting people with Jesus, encouraging Christians that seems to be your passion.
0: Yeah, I would I would say my passion is to help people find joy mm. in Jesus. Mm. And so as I open scripture, I mean right now in my personal reading I'm in Leviticus. So just this morning I'm I'm reading these laws about ritual impurity and and don't eat these insects and this is how you have to cleanse yourself and and I'm opening my time in in the word saying God, would you help me see Jesus mm. in this? Mm. Let this not be dry reading for me. And God is always so good to answer those prayers. And, and when I see something about Jesus in the text, it makes my my soul come alive. And I can't help but tell people about it, whether I'm jumping on Instagram to write a post or it makes it into the next
1: manuscript. I, I love that. Just the idea of trying to help people find joy in Jesus and drawing them into that is, is so cool. You spent time growing up as a missionary kid. In Romania. So yeah. did, that experience, how does that shape your your writing and your teaching? Mm. Have you thought about that?
0: Yeah, Dan, it was like living in the book of Acts. Mm. And by no means perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just be clear up front. Like um, a lot of dysfunction in in my family. Uh, but God was so gracious to use our time there to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in Romania, we worked with uh, the gypsies, the lowest caste of society, um, those who were on the outskirts of communities and marginalized, even by other Romanian Christians. And so to bring to them the good news that Jesus loves you and God sent his son to die for you too. And to see the power of the gospel to transform lives of people who've never heard about Jesus as wanting to have a relationship with them personally Mm. and transform communities and and race relations Mm. and um, seeing children for the first time graduate high school and go on to college because of the gospel changing lives, Dan, that had such a deep impact on how I view God and how I view the privilege of doing ministry with God, not just for him or, or through his power, but, um, truly seeing his spirit working with us and in us.
1: Yeah, that's cool. You know, I have a, one of my really good friends spent a year as a missionary over there. Uh, was that, were you
0: in Romania? Yeah.
1: Were you growing up there? Was this after communism fell? Was it before or after? Yeah. Cause, From the friends that I talked to that there was a rich time there where the church, evangelical churches were really growing. People were really hearing the gospel, right? When uh, communism fell, was that kind of the time that you were there?
0: So my parents, um, my dad was the pastor of several churches during communism, like the late 80s. um, And because of persecution and death threats, that's why my parents had to leave the country. And the short story is my mom was six months pregnant with me and I was born in Greece right after she left. And then my dad and brother joined us in Greece. And then we came to the U.S. in June of 89. And my parents had made the promise that if God ever changed the situation in Romania and brought down communism, they would go back. So within just a few months in December, um, the Iron Curtain fell, Ceaușescu was... um, set aside and, um, we went back in 1995. So we were there during this time of new religious freedom and liberty. Um, but seeing that extend then to, um, these marginalized people of society, it just an incredible experience.
1: Yeah. What, what a, what a great way to shape it. And obviously probably helps shape kind of the way you are able to live here in America and with just, you know, everything around us and trying to make sense of everything, you know, having the, the sort of missional mindset of wanting to connect people to Jesus is really cool. And you can see that in your writing, just like, you know, trying to connect people with the joy of knowing, knowing Christ, which is, which is pretty cool. So let's talk about the Lenten season talk about Easter because we want to talk in these series of podcasts about the resurrection, about Easter. I had a guest on before we were talking about this, both of us grew up, and I think you probably did. We grew up in kind of low church evangelicalism, which is great. I mean, there's so much I'm grateful for. So this is not like a complaint or anything, but we didn't really do liturgy, you know. So even the idea of of Advent, we didn't really say that word. Now we did Good Friday services and we did um Christmas Eve services, but like saying Advent was like that's what Catholics do. We don't do that, much less Lent. I mean, we like Right. So it's really cool to see a revival of some of the, those, the liturgical practices uh, among evangelicals. Why is it important, I guess, for us to to really mark out this season with mm-hmm. and really move our hearts toward Easter uh, during this time?
0: Yeah. Well, like you, Dan, I didn't grow up observing Lent or Advent, so it was new to me as a college student, right? My parents were still in Romania, missionaries. I was here in the United States going to an evangelical school. And um, my freshman year, all my friends were asking me, what are you giving up for Lent? And Dan, I was so confused. I was like, Lent? I thought we didn't do Lent. (laughs) What are you talking
1: about? (laughs) I got saved. We don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) And um, that was really my first exposure to this concept of yeah you give something up for lent you're fasting for lent um and so i did because everyone else was doing it and you know the the famous freshman 15 i figured i might as well give up sugar because yeah. <laughs> why not um and and for the first few years for me it was i felt like i was just bumbling my way trying to figure out what is lent and and why are suddenly some of my evangelical friends embracing this when I grew up understanding that we don't do this? Um, and it wasn't you know, until I, I graduated and kept stumbling into different churches, practicing Advent or Lent and incorporating elements of the liturgical calendar that um, I'm a researcher at heart. And so I was like, okay, let's figure out where did this come from? Because I had grown up believing that somehow it was a Catholic thing. Mm. And to my surprise, as you dig into history, um, we have records of believers practicing some season of preparation before Easter, Um, whether it was, you know, seven days or 20 days or 40 or 50 days um but but a season set aside to prepare their hearts to celebrate the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that dates all the way back to the 200s and 300s i mean we're talking about early church believers who were practicing this time of of pulling away from sins that were entangling them and and looking for opportunities to identify more closely with Jesus It's really neat to see how these traditions were different and the churches were practicing this differently and it wasn't until later that uh, churches gathered together at a council and said okay let's try to mm-hmm. let's try to figure out best practices when it comes to this period and and what they settled on are these three, practices of regular confession and repentance, mm. fasting, and sacrificial giving. Mm. And in one way or another, these three elements were present in this time of preparation for Easter. Mm. Now, I, I've heard a lot of people <laughs> tell me, Ashrita, you know, Lent isn't in the Bible, and so we shouldn't practice Lent. And I, I hear you totally. And if you are convicted about that, then have that conversation with Jesus for sure. But when I look at the American church, I don't think we are too consumed with confession and fasting and giving. If anything, these are spiritual disciplines that are sorely lacking in our spiritual rhythms that we would really benefit from incorporating into our lives in a strategic and, and practical way. So whether you call it Lent or you call it something else, whatever this practice looks like for you and your family and your church, I would strongly encourage listeners to consider what what is God calling me to do in this season leading up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And how can I incorporate regular confession, fasting, and sacrificial giving?
1: Mm, that's so good and and you know i i i think of that like the older i get and i don't know how you feel about this but routines and rhythms are actually good like there's something that they do for us that they they shape us in some in certain ways and the you know the the liturgical practices you know observing lent for instance and and just taking these times to focus on um, like you said, giving and uh, sacrifice and, and all these things, you, you know, there's a sense in which um, evangelicalism at times, the good things, the good thing we we emphasize is a personal relationship with Jesus and that it's a relationship, not a religion is what we like to say over and against kind of the dead ritualism of like mainline churches that don't have the gospel at the same time. I think one of the things we lost with that is just the importance of rhythm and the importance of ritual, right? When I was younger, I used to say about things like the Lord's Supper and other things, well, we don't want this to become a ritual. Now that I'm older, I'm actually saying, actually, I want this to become a ritual (laughs) Um, because it does so much for us. And it seems like Lent allows us to do that, you know, and I love the way that it it extends Easter because unlike Christmas, you know, Christmas we're thinking about for two months, Easter kind of sneaks up on us, doesn't it? Like all of a sudden. I was just going to say that. Every year. On, yeah, doesn't it? and we're not really ready for it, I don't feel like.
0: When is it again? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So and I feel like we're not ready for it, therefore we don't really it doesn't have the same impact on us, right? All of a sudden, oh, it's Good Friday, oh, it's Easter and then it's over. So just talk about how, you know, especially going through your book and uh talk about the the love of Jesus over this time can really slow us down that way.
0: Yeah, man, Dan, there's there's so much I could touch on there. But just one of the things that came to mind is I think as evangelicals, we have this notion that um, in order to be sincere in our relationship with Jesus, we must be spontaneous. Like spontaneous equals sincere. And something that is um, a regular rhythm or, as you said, a ritual must automatically be void of sincerity and heartfelt worship and connection. And I mean, I've tried that, That again, I'm so grateful for my upbringing. But I think when we try so hard to be spontaneous, um, we miss out on, on the beauty of rhythm with Jesus. It, rituals on their own and rhythms on their own, let's just be clear, are empty. But when we see them as an opportunity to walk through life with Jesus, they gain a whole new meaning. So, going back to those disciplines that I mentioned earlier, you can give up social media for Lent and have it be completely pointless because you're just spending that time on Netflix instead. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> you a great can point. Give up chocolate and binge on chips, like nothing gained there. The point of fasting is not to somehow earn brownie points with God or to gain more righteousness or to impress your friends that you're on this latest trend of liturgical practices and evangelicalism. The point of fasting is to set aside a good gift in exchange for the better gift of God himself. And so if you are going to give something up for Lent, that leaves a space in your life that I urge you to fill with Jesus. Hmm. Spend that time in God's word. Soak in the story of Jesus in the gospels. For me, that's looking specifically at how Jesus showed love to people. (laughs) And, And asking with Paul that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened, that I would understand the the heights and the depths and the riches of the love of God in Christ Jesus for me. I mean, what a privilege to spend these 40-ish days leading up to Easter completely immersed in the story of God's love for Mm. us. But Dan, if we're honest, most of us would feel like, I don't really have time for that. I wish I could do that, but I'm just too busy. And that's where this practice of Lent, the invitation of fasting, is a gift to us. It is an invitation to slow down and to savor the story of Jesus. The same thing is true about confession, right? This isn't about beating ourselves up, but rather about being honest about the ways that we fail to love God and we fail to love others and and to invite God's Spirit to shine His light into our hearts and to reveal to us the brokenness and, and the ways that we fall short so that we might receive His forgiveness. And when we're honest about our own shortcomings, then the sacrifice of Jesus becomes that much more beautiful and significant and precious mm. to us. Mm. I think we've lost the beauty of what happened at the cross because we're so wrapped up in in the daily doings of religion. And, and I say this to myself, right? I, I have this checklist mentality of I've read my Bible, I pray on a regular basis, I, I don't do the bad things that I was raised to avoid, right? And so I must be okay. The season of Lent invites us to be honest with God about our sins and in that to receive the joy of salvation in Jesus. Same thing is true about giving. So so none of these disciplines or rhythms or rituals Are significant on their own. They find their significance when they reorient our attention and our affection on Jesus Christ. And so we walk with Him in this season leading up to Resurrection Sunday. We look at the cross. We see His great love for us there, us personally, because we have a fresh awareness of our sins and our need for Him. And we lament the, the curse of sin and death that caused the son of God to die for us. And we spend Saturday in that reflection of that, that tension and the moment in between the cross and the tomb, the tension that we're still living in right now, right? That, that Jesus has gained victory, but we're still waiting for him to come back and finish that. Like so much of the Easter story opens up when we slow down to enter the rhythm of Lent and then Glorious Resurrection Sunday, when we enter into that celebration, because we've spent these weeks preparing our hearts to sing Hallelujah, He has
1: risen indeed. That's such a good word. I felt like walking the aisle right there, just like getting saved all over again. <laughs> that was that was fantastic. And you, you know, one of the things I love about what you're doing with this book that you have and this guide and devotional is—you alluded to it earlier, but these uh, things like Advent, but particularly Lent, I think Lent even more, can become a kind of, let me hop on the latest fad. You know, let me put some ashes on my forehead and let me just let everybody know what I'm giving up, which is, I think, ironic because if you really think about fasting, people who talk a lot publicly on social media about what they're giving up, it's. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but it seems defeating the purpose a little bit, you know, of doing it quietly. But you focus us on Jesus, because I do think there's a way to kind of engage in these things as a kind of performative way to say, "Look at me, I'm sophisticated. Uh, I'm not like you simpletons. I'm doing these liturgical practices." But the whole point of it is to to meditate on Jesus. And you're, this book, really, every day is just bring us back to Jesus. Uh, this he's he, he's why we're we're pausing on Easter and pausing on Good Friday and and Monday Thursday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason it's the love of Jesus is not just, you know, a great marketing ploy because it's a follow up to unwrapping the names of Jesus, but rather right in the season when I was writing this, um, as I was planning to write it, I was really struggling with a relationship in my life. There was someone close to me um, that had hurt me deeply mm-hmm. and people were advising me to just keep distance there so that I would avoid future hurt. And I felt God calling me to love them. And as I faced this relationship, Dan, I realized there is not enough love in my heart for this person. Mm. I can try to muster up more feelings of goodwill, but that well runs dry really fast. Mm. And in a place of desperate need, I turned to God and I said, would you fill me with your love so that your love can overflow into this person's life? And I feel like that's such a significant prayer right now because anyone who's been awake the last 18 months has seen how the church has been torn apart by politics and division and Cultural understanding of of what is going on, or interpretation of what's happening, relationships between family members are being strained Mm -hmm. by this, and it feels like we're in a time when, if if there was ever a time to love one another, it is now. Jesus says, "The world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." But sometimes it feels like these differences are are too great to be overcome by love. And if you're listening to this right now and and you can think of that person in your life that there's hurt there, and yet there's a part of you that longs to restore that relationship, but you just feel like there's not enough love in your heart to do that, then I invite you in this season to make that the object of your prayer, the object of your Lent, saying, God, would you... So fill me with an understanding of your great love in Jesus. Would you help me soak and and saturate in this gospel story of how Jesus so loves us that it would fill me up and that I would be able to love this person, not with my own emotions, but with your great love in me. And Dan, as I (laughs) prayed that prayer, and wrote my way through the gospel stories. I used First Corinthians 13 kind of as a framework, right? Because if God is love and Jesus is the image of God, then Jesus would reveal love. And so if love is patient and kind and doesn't envy, then, then Jesus was patient and kind and didn't envy. And so I went to the gospels kind of looking for that. Where are those places where, where Jesus revealed this love in his interactions with people? And as I meditated on, on how Jesus loved that way, I found him changing my heart to love this way. And interactions with this person, I was blown away by how, like, I responded that way? That that would not be my typical response to this person. And yet it was the Spirit of God changing my heart and filling me with love for them And as we walked together, as I walked with Jesus in the season of Lent, reaching Resurrection Sunday was like watching a dead relationship come to life. And it brought a whole new meaning to the fact that Christ has risen and he has called us to be a resurrected people. Because he lives, we also live. And he can bring life to those dead places and dead relationships as his love works in us. Um, I'm just so passionate that this isn't just gaining more head knowledge or somehow patting ourselves on the back for being super spiritual. This is so practical for our relationships today. Mm
1: -hmm. That's really good. Uh, I I, I felt the same way too, Asherita. just distressed by the division in the church And how the all these just pressures are pushing in on Christians and dividing families, and uh, you know we've gotten away from what we have. We we may have disagreements on a range of things, but we've gotten away from what unites uh, us—the the cross of Jesus and the resurrection. And Easter gives us that example or that opportunity to come back to that and say, "Here, here is what we believe." I mean, here is why we call ourselves Christians. You know, this is why we go to church. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we try to live out uh, the gospel. And this kind of calls us back to that. I just love your passion for that. And you're, you're wanting to call people to that And I just want to encourage you to stick to that. There's so many things that can pull us away. There's so many kind of doubts that say, you know, people aren't hungry for Jesus anymore in this generation, or, you know, nobody trusts the church anymore and all those things but just to press it and say, no, like God is still working in this age and Christ still saves as much as he has in any other age. So I just, I love your focus on that. Um, So thank you for being encouraging that. we to encourage folks to get this book and check out Asherita's uh, stuff. You can go to her website. We'll have links in the show notes, but get this book, Uncovering the Love of Jesus. Be great to do with your family uh, as you go through the the Lent season, Easter season here. Uh, Just every day driving us closer to Jesus. I wanted to ask you a couple more questions while I have you here, but you know, as I think about the moment we're in where we've had a pandemic and so we're just more acutely aware of our mortality and death, uh, racial tension, political tension, brokenness in the world. It strikes me that Easter, like this is the, this is, this is the perfect time for Easter. You know, that, Easter deals with death. It deals with the ugly realities of this world. Christ being the, his death on the cross being the death of death, if you will, and his resurrection. So just just talk about those things. I think sometimes we are tempted to kind of, um, as Christians, skip past Good Friday and go right to the to Easter. And look, like the resurrection is everything. Yeah. The resurrection is like... As Paul said, without it, we're of all people most miserable, most to be pitied. But we we kind of skip through the passion and get right to the to the celebration. So so talk about the importance of lingering through the hard and ugly parts of, of Easter.
0: Yeah. I felt this, Dan, last year acutely, uh, because you yeah, know, the lockdowns were happening mm-hmm. right as Lent had just begun. Um, And and so for me, I had entered this season of preparation for Easter, and I was just thinking how fitting that in God's goodness, He He gives us space and time to lament what is broken in the world. I think, again, hear me, I'm so grateful for my upbringing in church. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without the the heritage handed down, down to me but i it, there was this pressure almost to show up sunday morning with a smile on your face and everything's okay and everything's going great and and there was no real place for sadness and lament there was no place to be angry about the injustice in the world and about the the brokenness that surrounds us and and to just sit with that and it wasn't until a few years ago as i was reading through the psalms actually and and seeing david be so brutally honest with god and thinking i don't know if i'd have the courage to talk this way <laughs> to god i don't i don't know if i'd be this honest with him but that is the the space that lent creates for us in being a more somber season It gives us a place to be honest about the wounds in our own lives, about the ways that we have been sinned against, and that we have sinned against others. It gives us time to process what we're grieving, that we do still live in a broken world, that even though Jesus has conquered the grave and he has victory over sin and death— there's an already but not yet tension that we live in that that I say is characteristic of the Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. There's that tension of it's coming, it's coming, but it's not here yet. And so we get to be the people who experience grief with hope. Right, Paul says that that we do mourn, we do grieve. Just this morning, I was reading about Jesus and, and Mary and Martha, and he wept over Lazarus's death, over, over the brokenness that he saw in the sisters, even though he knew he would bring Lazarus back to life. He knew what would happen, and yet he grieved over the, the curse of sin in the world and how it has marred his good creation. I think we're doing ourselves and our families and children a disservice if we skip over the hard parts of Good Friday. Good Friday is meant to allow us to feel the weight of sin, to feel the weight of that curse, and yet to feel it with the hope that Jesus bore it for us. So we, we grieve, yet with hope. We lament, yet we do that in the presence of God himself, knowing that even though we can't necessarily made, wave a magic wand and, and make everything better around us right now, we have space to come before God. And, and this has been my prayer this past year is, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts and, and see if there is any sinful, undesirable way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Dan, what an incredible prayer for Lens. Yes.
1: What an incredible prayer. I, I just feel like we've had a, a church service up in here. So I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. And this is just uh, more motivation to, to get Asherita's book, uh, Unwrapping, the love of Jesus. Okay. And the last part of this podcast, I want to talk a little bit about writing because you're a writer and I'm a writer and
0: okay, you know, let's talk, let's, let's talk it.
1: writer things and writers are listening. I think, I think some people listen to my podcast for that. So you've always been a writer. You've always loved words just like me, which I love. Do you have like a method for your writing? Like there's always been people that I know that get up every day and they you know and they crank out a certain word count every day whether or not they have a project that's never been me i'm kind of a deadline guy if i if, if i have a deadline i mean i've learned to get more organized with it right like i know how much a chapter takes me and i'm i'm having a schedule writing blocks right i have to do that but i'm curious your method like talk to me about how you do writing and and like how it works for you. What does a writing day look like? How, what What's your process?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well I'm maybe in between the, the super disciplined writer and you know, the fly by the seat of your pants typewriter. Uh, it depends if I'm currently working on a manuscript, then I tend to be much more organized and diligent about it. So right now, um, I'm facing down a deadline and the next month and a half, I need to have 80,000 words turned in and I have about 30,000 of those <laughs> written. Mm-hmm. So every morning um, right now, I wake up before the rest of my, my family does. I spend time alone with Jesus in his word and in prayer. And then I'm at my desk at 7 a.m. Um, I live and die by Pomodoros. <laughs> so I have a little app on my computer that gives me 25 minutes to focus on writing. And I know about how much time it takes me to write a certain number of devotionals. I'm I'm working on a 365-day devotional right now. So I know in 25 minutes, I can write two, maybe three. These are super short, by the way. Um, And so once I hit that start on the Pomodoro app, I know this is focused writing time. Um, and I don't open my email. I don't get up. If a child wakes up, like my, my husband is super gracious in supporting me in this. So this is my focused writing time. After 25 minutes of writing, I have a five minute break. And so I'll get up, I'll get a glass of water. I'll usually uh, brush my daughter's hair because my husband's getting ready to put her on the bus. Yeah. And then I come back for the second 25 minute. Block of writing. Um, and what I've been trying to do right now is just two of those Pomodoro sessions each morning. Um, if I have extra writing time in a day, if the kids are with grandma, um, then I might do more Pomodoros in a morning. And then the closer I get to a writing deadline, the more um, I stack those on top of each other. So I'll try to get away to a coffee shop on a Saturday. Um, this is the first time I scheduled a writing retreat, and Dan, I am ecstatic. That's <laughs> so awesome. I'm going to a, a Benedictine retreat center oh, where I can just be alone for two days and finish this manuscript. So I'll report back on how that
1: goes. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I've never been able to, I've never done that. I have scheduled days, you know, I'm going to take this day and this day and I'm going to write and I'm just going to get, and I kind of know, especially with the characters books that I know. It takes about a day, day and a half to get a chapter done. You know, that's assuming I've done a lot of reading beforehand and I'm kind of mm-hmm. in my head, I know where the outline is. You know, I've never like done a retreat type thing and, and I've always wanted to. I think that's a great idea.
0: I, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to structure this, but I'm I'm just grateful to be able to get away. Yeah,
1: You know, that's funny thing too, is I used to beat myself up, but like about this, but there's so much more about writing than just writing. So like the words on paper time, I used to think that's my writing, everything else, man, I'm like wasting time. But now I've come to realize like the reading, the studying, the thinking that counts too, as long as I, you know, actually get some words on paper. (laughs) But uh, I'm curious, like, you know, when you research and you're doing like Bible study, like what that looks like.
0: I I mentioned earlier, I'm a researcher at heart. So for like a trade book, I've read upwards of 50 or 60 Mm -hmm. books before writing my own book Um, and maybe part of this comes from my you know English major in college but I view it as an opportunity to enter into a conversation that's already happening like all these writers have talked about this subject and it's like they're talking to each other and so I want to be able to enter that conversation um, in an educated way to know what other people are saying And to be able to position my thesis or what I'm going to present within that larger context. Um, And so I'll read. (laughs) My husband always laughs when I start a new project because he's like, there goes our Amazon book order again. (laughs) (laughs) All these books coming in. Um, And so I'll read with a highlighter. I'll take notes in the margins. I usually have a sticky note on like the front cover where I'll write page numbers that I want to come back to and reference um, I also use Evernote to capture quotes or articles yeah. if I'm on the internet. Um, and and I'll have um like binders or hashtags to organize that. Yep. But when it comes down to actually writing, um, I use an app called Scrivener. Mm. Are you familiar so with you it? Use
1: Scrivener? I you know, I I, I have a lot of friends that use it and I'm just like so stuck in like I use Word and I've used Word since, you know, the beginning and I can't get out of that. But That's cool that you use Scrivener.
0: Hey, I mean, use whatever works for you. (laughs) Right, but
1: Scrivener works for you.
0: Oh, I will never go back. Um, I will say once, like I do all of my writing in Scrivener. Once I export it to like turn in my manuscript to the publisher and we're in the editing phase, that all happens in Word. I don't go back to Scrivener.
1: But what's the advantage of Scrivener? Uh,
0: So like right now with my 365-day devotional – I have certain collections that are thematic, but I don't necessarily know what order they're going to go into, like what collection will come first. And, and even within a collection, which devotional should go first and second and third. And so in Scribner, it's really easy to drag and drop individual devotionals or chapters or files and reorder them. It's also a great way to collect research And I do all of my marketing um, strategizing in Scrivener because I, I like to bake the marketing into the book as I'm writing it. And so I'll have, you know, publicity ideas and marketing ideas and all of that is in Scrivener while the actual draft is in one folder. Promotional materials are in another folder. Research is in another folder, but it's all in the same document. So it's easy to reference.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I use I, I I've used Evernote on and off to organize my stuff. And, and, and you know, there's different projects, like you said, if like if I'm writing a typical trade book, like when I wrote Dignity Revolution or Away with Words, I had to do a lot of research. Like I'd read a lot of books about in the field, you know. And what I'll do is I'll typically before I start writing, I'll have a stack of books I just want to get through just to get my head, you know, and I'll make notes and I'll save stuff when I'm writing like a more of a Bible study type thing, I do a lot of reading, but it's just like commentaries and that type of thing. I almost find that easier. I'm going to say more fun. Does that make sense? Like when I wrote the, yeah, well, like when I wrote the characters of Christmas and characters of Easter, I mean, it's a trade book and you're profiling each of these people in the Bible, but it's, you're really in the text. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing, you're doing commentaries and you're, doing a lot of bible background stuff and scholarly stuff but you're in the text where and, and you're it's focused right i'm thinking about simon peter i'm thinking about the text i'm thinking about the passages i know him versus when i'm writing another book and you have to think about a lot of different things and so it's just interesting but the note keeping is interesting too i i sort of do that i'm not as organized as you I probably should be but do you ever email yourself stuff <laughs> like you're reading it and you're My... like oh yeah do you email yourself stuff? My, like, this is a great article. I need to not forget uh, this.
0: No, no, I don't do that. I, I guess I use Evernote for that. Mm-hmm. But I was laughing because my husband makes me email him my manuscript like once a week.
1: Because <laughs> So it doesn't get lost he, somewhere? Yeah.
0: He works in IT. Um, And so even though Scrivener does automatic backups multiple times on the cloud, he is like, I just don't trust that. Just email it to me. So, um, I do email him my manuscript multiple times as I'm writing it.
1: I mean, one more thing, cause we really do. I do have to let you go, but I <laughs> no, right, I love outlines. Do you love outlines? Yes. So like to me, outlines are everything. And I have, a, I have the idea of when I'm writing a book, I have the idea of the outline of the chapters first We cause we have to do that when we do proposals, but then but then, even at the chapter level, as I'm thinking, okay, I have to write about Peter, then then an outline will come to me, you know, the idea. And it's weird; like I'll be in church listening to a sermon, I have my my journal, and I'll just get it yeah. in my head. And I'll just write it out. And I have my journals I have filled of like I, the initial stages of some of my chapters and stuff that were in outline form. And then, then you get to the chapter; it's still work, but it's not as hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like that. Okay, so like that? there are two
0: things that immediately come to mind. And I'm I i prom- I'm not a Scrivener ambassador, so I'm not trying to sell you on this or anything. But like <laughs> I'm, I'm just – it works for me. So with outlines, um, one of the things that I do is each of those like individual files has icons on the side and I turn them colors. So if it's just like I've outlined it in the sidebar it's tr- it's hard to explain but just picture like your typical outline with you know roman numerals and bullet points and everything so that's in the side as icons um, and then it's just like a white icon a-, a white notebook and once i go in and write the first draft i turn that icon yellow and that's my symbol that like these parts of my outline are in first draft and it's a way to like visualize my progress on the manuscript um, and then as I go through and do a rewrite or a second draft, I turn it green. And and so I can see like various parts of my manuscript are in outline form or they're in first draft form or they're in second draft form. And then my final run through before I turn it into the publisher, I'll turn the notebook blue. And so it is so rewarding to see my manuscript turn blue subsection by subsection. Um, it's just a way for me to note that progress on it. Um, But outlining is also the way that I get out of writer's block (laughs) because um, if I feel like I I, I don't necessarily know what to write here, um, what I'll end up doing is I'll just bullet points thoughts for that section of the chapter. And then- I. If nothing comes, that. I'll yes. move to another chapter. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on yeah. bullet pointing thoughts there. And Dan, what I find myself doing is gradually the bullet points get longer and longer until I'm writing paragraphs for each bullet point. And I know like I've, I've hit my flow now and and what was an outline is now turning into writing. Um, it's yes. wonderful when that
1: happens. So yeah, I'm like, when you said that, it's so funny. Cause I do that. T- I do that too. And one of the things I will do when I'm writing a chapter, I can't believe you said that. Cause I do the same thing. It's crazy. You know, if let's say I have to, I, like, I get like weird and like, Oh, I got to finish this chapter, but I'm looking at the clock and it's like four o'clock and we're going to eat at five and I have to be a human and be with my family. But I, but I want to write more, but I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to lose this moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You get that way where you're like, I, I need to finish this. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm in a flow, but I, we're gonna have to stop and go somewhere. And you just get mad at everybody for like wanting to do normal (laughs) things because I'm trying to finish this. But what I will do to alleviate some of that that I've learned is I'll write as much as I can. And then I know time's short. I will bullet the rest of the chat. Like, here's the ideas about the rest of this that I don't want to lose and don't want to forget. So I'll just start putting these rapid fire thoughts in there that I don't lose. And I'm like, okay, I feel good. I can come back to this and you know what I mean? And then
0: you come back the next day and it's not a blank page. You're like, oh, I right. know exactly there. where I left it's
1: off. There. But those ideas are there, yeah. Yeah. right? So anyway, this is there. all fun. I appreciate your ministry, Asherita, and uh, love your books. I want to encourage everyone to check out Asherita Choo, Choo all her many wonderful things. Uh, we'll have links to her website and to podcasts and all that stuff and, and her books particularly unwrapping the love of Jesus. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Dan,
0: thank you so much for having me. It was my joy.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book called The Characters of Easter. It's out with Moody Press. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.